we are back and bringing some G-Force to you, family. Diesel and Reeser. What's up? What's going on? What's going on? Um, today, we are discussing two uh, really exciting movies. But before we jump into what those films are, we had to bring an illustrious, incredible guest to join us. Uh, he is a writer, actor, filmmaker, photographer, and just all around, just a, just a lover, ladies and gentlemen. This is Michonne Fagan. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> Glad to be um, here. Gotta shout, gotta shout out. Michonne is, is one of our aces as One well, of the closest homies, for sure. Frankly, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't know Reeser if it wasn't for That's true. That is Mr. true, actually. Michonne Fagan. So, I mean, thank you so much to, for, for introducing of me course. to you. Such an incredible of course. person. He's the straw that stirs the drink. The str- That's right. I'm the Mayana. The Mayana. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so today uh, I mentioned G- G-Force because that is the, the force of gravity um, that uh, we experience every day. And in the film uh, that we're, the films that we're going to be talking about, the force of gravity is um, definitely a very uh, uh, important aspect. Because, uh, as is, uh, as is San Diego. Um, right, right. As really is San, Diego. San Diego films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dealing with uh, high, very fast flying Navy planes. We are talking about Top Gun. Woo! Directed by... Tony, Tony Scott. Scott, rest in power, brother. Yeah. Um, and and wait, who wrote the original Top Gun, Reeser? Looks like Jim Cash and Jack Epps, based on some kind of prose thing called Top Guns by Ehud Yone. Oh, yes, um, that, which is an article. That, that that was an article that, uh, that was written in a magazine that they adapted uh, the screenplay into. And there, there's actually a lawsuit going on right now. <laughs> Um, between uh, the filmmakers and, and, and Paramount and the, the, the family of the guy who wrote the article because Paramount didn't renew the copyright uh, before the new Top Gun came out. Or like so renew the option thing. because it's like, yeah. like they're pretending that it's not based on that source material, even though and then the, they're arguing that it is, that kind of thing. Exactly, hmm. exactly. And the copyright expired in 2020, and the movie was supposed to come out. So, And the second film we're talking about is Top Gun Maverick, directed by Joseph Kosinski of the music video and incredible um, commercial fame. And he also did Oblivion and whatnot. And Tron, um, Tron Legacy. And Tron Legacy. And uh, uh, who wrote that one? Aaron Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie wrote the screenplay. McQuarrie. We love McQuarrie. Uh, um, so does Tom Cruise. McQuarrie. Oh yeah, right. they love each other. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. That's I right. mean, I mean, basically, Tom Cruise can't lift a pencil without Christopher McQuarrie <laughs> helping him. So, and then and the story was written by Peter Craig and Justin Marks. Um, so there you have it. Oh. Five. Oh, Peter Craig. Writers. Peter Craig also works a lot. He works with um, what's his name a lot. He he, he co-wrote the Batman with. There you go. There you go. Good the homie. Good, good good memory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, he yeah. wrote it with uh, with Matt Reeves. Yeah, with Matt Reeves. Okay. Um, but Top Gun Maverick was supposed to come out in 2020, and as we all know, the you know the pandemic, panoramic, <laughs> the panoramic 
basically delayed this movie and Tom Cruise was, he, he stood by them not releasing it on any streaming platform. And this movie finally came out in 2022. So it was postponed two years, but, um, We'll talk about whether or not it was worth the wait, but we always start with the beginning. So, Top Gun. I would like to. I would like to hear you guys collab on a summary of Top Gun. Yeah, just a general summary of what first what the movie is like about on a literal story level. Um, let's let's start there, and I would like you guys to kind of imp- sort of trade off like a ping pong match. And um, I'll let Michonne. I think Michonne, you can you can do the opening salvo. Yeah, Mission Mass, you start it, baby. Okay, Top Gun number one. Young Tom Cruise uh, and a bunch of other pilots go to an elite Navy training system for the best, you know, top tier pilots in their field, um, and they go to learn primarily to dogfight, I guess. Um, aerial dogfighting and things like that. The it's like a competitive, I guess, group, and within that group, there's a lot of uh, animosity and competition and things like that. And then uh, they go through the training program. Uh, Goose, who is Tom Cruise's uh, flight, I, I actually I didn't know is he a navigator or a gunner or a combination of the two. Well, what does the guy in the back of the plane do? The guy in the back of the plane <laughs> is the radar intercept officer oh. okay who specialized in the airborne weapons and sensor systems okay so he has this guy named goose who is the guy that does that and uh and so it goes through sort of this whole i don't know boyish testosterone fueled competitive airline pilot yeah. dogfighting storyline Goose ends up dying tragically, which sort of brings Tom Cruise to the brink of not knowing whether or not he wants to continue his career as a pilot. He then uh, is convinced to do it, comes back and uh, goes and I guess gets certified through the Top Gun system and makes good with Val Kilmer and all the other people that he was competing with. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. The, the, the major arc is that they are competing for who will be the best pilot, right, to lead them, to lead the Top Gun team. Because yeah. in the in the you know in the climax near the climax, Tom Cruise ends up losing to Iceman. Iceman does win it. However, they still then then in the third act, uh, after Iceman wins, then they send Tom Cruise on on a mission. This mission that basically, it, it, frankly, it kind of there's one thing about the writing in. I mean, there are a few things we could talk about the writing in the first Top Gun, but. That third act mission did feel like it literally just came out of nowhere because mm-hmm. Iceman wins, you know, or, 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 you know, he's, he gets, you know, like the, the sort of top gun um, leader qualification at the end and they have that whole ceremony. But then, then this mission, you know, that like comes and then, and it's a dogfighting mission. And then they end up sending Tom Cruise like last minute when they need someone to basically help out. And then Tom Cruise comes in and does some magic and saves the day as Maverick. Yeah. It, it had also kind of lost me like in the last 25 minutes or so. I was just right. kind of. Yeah. It's. Yeah. What was the mission he went It's on? called the Top Gun tr- Trophy. That's what they're competing on. Yeah, but it's, it's not, not like a military. Not a, yeah, that's mission. not a mission, right? Oh, oh, the the mission that they went on was a crisis situation, and they had to go to hostile waters. They they never say like 
where it is or who it is, both movies, you know, if there's one thing they, they try to avoid, I think, obviously, because you're dealing with the Navy and the Navy's involved. So they try to avoid pinpointing like who or what the the actual the the, the opponent is. But they're sent to an, a, a provide air support to a, a disabled ship that's dr- drifted into hostile waters. Huh. Mm. I guess I just blanked that out because I just, in my recollection, the whole movie was within the the, the confines of the train. Same. I Same. don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Because that that last that last sequence, I mean, it's funny that that you don't remember it. It's just it it really feels very. I mean, if we're just jumping into story, that is like. I remember watching it and I was like, okay, it looks like they just needed something, you know, just to end this movie on yeah. because they didn't have an action scene. It just, it literally just happens, right. you know, and like, um, it, nothing motivates it. It just, it just comes out of the blue. It's a, uh, it's like a, a Desus Machina of a third act. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, I think people really, I mean, you know, I'd be down to talk about the plot mechanics a little bit more and just like the general story but to me the story there's not much there i think i think um what works i i don't i don't love the movie but i think what works about it is like the energy and like camaraderie and competition between the guys and also for some people they're really just looking for like the romantic interest in a movie um Mm. and like yeah yeah and like that and they sell that pretty well in the film it's it's not amazing it's not incredibly complex but there's there is something that's kind of satisfying about that love story and like the tension there and stuff like that like it's it's entertaining and then we get the goose relationship and the pathos of him dying works and like it's pretty it's pretty sad when he when he dies i thought but beyond That's that, funny because that the goose death felt so out of the blue, and then the the subsequent like grieving scene, I don't know, that felt sort of forced and and staged to me. I didn't. It, it just felt like that all of a sudden, boom! It was like now we're pulling on heartstrings and stuff, you know. Well, I kind of saw it coming because they were doing like that scene of of him playing piano in the bar. Like there was the vibes were so high that I kind of knew that they were setting us up for tragedy, you know. Um, Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you about that, but at the same time, it always is kind of unexpected, and especially because they're not like in combat. It's like people do die, and it's dangerous, but it's not like. But it would kind of come out of the blue. You know what I mean? So I think they can... I was also unclear about exactly how he died. There was some sort of an explosion in the cockpit and then he kind of hit his head or something. I wasn't sure. Let's consult Wikipedia for that. Okay. Maverick and Iceman, direct competitors for the Top Gun trophy, chase an A4 in Hop 31. Part of the scoring in every flight is the time taken for every dogfight to conclude. Noticing that Iceman pulls time during his chase after the A4 so his total score remains higher than Maverick's, Maverick pressures him to break off his engagement with the A4 to shoot it down himself. However, his F-14 flies through Iceman's jet wash and suffers a flame out of both engines going into an unrecoverable flat spin. Maverick and Goose eject, but Goose hits the jettisoned aircraft Aircraft canopy canopy. headfirst and is killed. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's kind of what I... Yeah, I, 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 I do remember seeing that basically. sequence, and I... If I had seen that in movie theaters, I think I still would have been confused, but watching it when it was on Netflix, I, I re-watched the scene because I was like, wait, what just happened? Because I, I, I understand Michonne may be missing because I, I didn't know how he died either because all I know is that like, I saw them both eject and then his head is just bleeding. And I was like, wait, did he blow up? Or like, I was, you know, and, and it's also just the, the effects for the time, you know, like they couldn't, uh, you know, I don't know if it, like they, they could have just done a, some different thing just to mount the camera near his head. So you could at least see it hitting the thing. Cause it, I just wasn't sure. I just saw a dummy bouncing and then, and then they're both in the water. So I, I, I do remember at least just the uh, special effects wise, that, that was a little muddy what happened. But the big thing about that moment though, is just to know that like Maverick thinks that it's his fault and he thinks that he's going to be ejected from the Top Gun program, but it wasn't. And it was, you know, they determined it to be just a, a malfunction of the aircraft and, uh, you know, and, and he's, he's allowed to continue, but he, it, it's so hard for him to continue, you know, and that obviously reverberates through the sequel as well. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think this movie rides high on TC, TC and, <laughs> you know, TC's performance. Um, I think, you know, Anthony Edwards as Goose is fantastic. Yeah, I he mean, was he's great. just such a charmer, you know, like, uh, I mean, a, a movie that we, we love and we'll probably discuss, you know, like on on, a, on another episode of this, but it's like Diner. And I just remember like in, in why I love diners is because the, the 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 sort of kinship between the best friends is so raw and real. And, you know, and Maverick and Goose's relationship just from the first moment the both of them are in frame. That was the that was, those were like the best times that I felt like the dialogue in the movie just soared because I was like those two guys seemed like all of their lines were just written for them and they actually gave a shit and hung out with each other. So I you know like that that drew me in. That actually drew me in. I, I would say more than the romance. I like the romance, but the romance partly works because of uh, <laughs> that song by Berlin. You know, like the use of music in this movie also. I think it, it it dictates your emotions a lot, you know? Yeah, I thought that the relationship between Tom Cruise and Goose, especially the scenes where Goose kind of confronts him and says, look, I need you to be less reckless. This is my life and my career, and I don't right. I have children and a mm. wife, and you can't keep doing this. And Tom Cruise, like, felt that I felt that hit him, and he acknowledged that. And it happened a couple of times, but ultimately, that was that was really a, a, a big pull in like you said, that friendship was was the most uh, effective part. Yeah. Really, really nice. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna attempt. Can I introduce a new element into this uh, yeah, discussion? Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh. The element I want to discuss is uh, homosexuality and homoeroticism. Can I read something to you guys? This is a monologue that Quentin Tarantino gives in a night i think it's a 1990 a 1990s indie film called sleep with me um where quentin tarantino is telling someone this at a party and this is a, a monologue about top gun and apparently this is a rant that was essentially ripped off from roger avery who had been going around at parties saying this and perfecting this for years and then tarantino basically just decided to to, to steal it and use it for uh for this indie movie so let me just let me just read it to you guys because i found the text of it 
Um, okay, hit that, hit that. And I'm not going to do the Tarantino voice. Yeah, yeah, I can read for Dwayne. Perfect. Okay, you All read right. Dwayne. All right, all right, let's go, Sid. What's a film about? What's it really about? What genre does it take? What? Like the spine? Like one sentence? No, I don't fucking boy meets girl. I don't give a shit about that. Fuck boy meets girl. Fuck motorcycle movie. No. What is really being said? What's really being said? That's what you're talking about. Because the whole idea, man, is subversion. You want subversion on a massive level. You know what one of the greatest fucking scripts ever written in the history of Hollywood is? Top Gun. Oh, come on. Top Gun is fucking great. What is Top Gun? You think it's about... You think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots? It's about a bunch of guys waving their dicks around. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality. It is. That is what Top Gun is about, man. You've got Maverick, all right? He's on the edge, man. He's right on the fucking line, all right? And you've got Iceman and all his crew. They're gay. They represent the gay man, all right? And they're saying, go, go the gay way, go the gay way. He could go both ways. What about Kelly McGillis? Kelly McGillis, she's heterosexuality. She's saying, no, 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 no. Go the normal way. Play by the rules. Go the normal way. They're saying, no, go the gay way. Be the gay way. Go for the gay way. All right? That's what's going on throughout the whole movie. He goes back to her house. All right? It looks like they're going to have sex, you know? They're just kind of sitting back. He's taking a shower and everything. They don't have sex. He gets on the motorcycle, drive, drives away. She's like, what the fuck? What the fuck's going on here? Next scene, next scene you see her. She's in the elevator. She's dressed like a guy. She's got the cap on. She's got the aviator glasses. She's wearing the same jacket that the Iceman wears. She is, okay, this is how I'm going to get this guy. This guy's going towards the gay way. I got to bring him back. I got to bring him back from the gay way. So I'm going to do that through subterfuge. I'm going to dress like a man, all right? That is how she approaches it. Okay, now let me ask you. I'm going to digress for two seconds here. I met this girl, Amy, here. She's floating around here and everything. Now she just got divorced, right? All right, but the real ending of the movie is when... They fight the MIGs at the end, all right? Because he has passed over into the gay way. They are all this gay fighting fucking force, all right? And they're beating the Russians. The gays are beating the Russians. <laughs> and it's over. And they fucking land. And Iceman's been trying to get Maverick the entire time. And finally, he's got him, all right? And what's the last fucking line they have together? They're all hugging and kissing and happy with each other. And Ice comes up to Maverick and says, man, you can ride my tail anytime. And what does Maverick say? <laughs> you can ride mine. Sword fight. Sword fight. Fucking A, man. So basically, in any case, there is a, to me, and I was told this in high school. My, my English teacher would like to tell us about how Top Gun is one of the most, like, homoerotic movies ever made except it's not explicitly about homosexuality in any way but um it's kind of impossible to not see the movie that way and i'm very and i and i've i've read a little bit about it and i think a lot of people in the queer community and uh gay men and, and stuff kind of it like the movie because of this because it has this like gay energy to it or and i don't i, I just don't know to what extent that was uh, intentional, and I'm very curious what that was all about. Um, I just looked up a little thing with the writer, and he said somebody asked him, and he said it wasn't intended that way, but I can see how people would interpret it that way. 
Well, what do you guys think? I can totally see that. Although I do think that because there's such a difference in the way that we see masculinity in the 80s versus today, it's been so long that I think there's a lot of movies that you can look back on at the representation of male relationships and male macho-ness in previous generations and think that, oh, it's it's a lot softer or it's a lot more intimate and things like that. And, you know, I'm not totally convinced that that was intentional at all or if or that that's real. You know what I mean? I get it. They're very affectionate and there's a lot of naked men in the locker rooms and, you know, a lot of these, like, smiles at each other and, and the stuff, dialogue I, itself is extremely yeah. suggestive in the way they always are like licking their lips and biting their lips and looking at each other even it's, the terminology is euphemistic well that's true but <laughs> but, that, but you would get that in almost any yeah maybe maybe you know the air force is just kind of gay i mean <laughs> I, I i i totally get the interpretation i didn't really i didn't really get that vibe i guess i i i mean i did with 2022 eyes right but if i go back you don't think so i don't know yes i mean you you can say that i don't, I don't know i'm just throwing i just it, it to me it's, it must be discussed but i don't but yeah but, but, yeah but perhaps there's not a lot to say it's it's but i don't know it just feels like a, for all the movies that are kind of have those undertones it feels like way more than an undertone and it's it's hard to believe that those conversations weren't happening on set looking back yeah there's moments where i'm looking at it and it's like okay that feels like they're about to kiss almost right yeah. like at the end when tom cruise and, and val kilmer are looking at each other or whatever and you know you can be my wingman anytime it does yeah. seem like they're about to make out or something for a moment but yeah i don't know I, whether or not it, that was intent intentional I don't know. Yeah. We, 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 maybe we should have had somebody that's gay on the podcast. No, we're maybe we should have. You know? That's what's up. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we will. It's maybe also we... Pride Month. It's uh, also Pride Month. Our, True <laughs> that. To all of our listeners out there. True yeah. that. You know, I, 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 welcome, I welcome any interpretation that you know, people have of, of cinema. And in watching it, I can see the, the homoeroticism. It, I, I, I don't have any sort of... You know, like I, I don't take anything away from it uh, politically, but I, I think it's mostly directorial. I, I don't mm. really see yeah. it in the well, script. Okay. It's mostly directorial in just the way that the sequences are filmed. The the most famous sequence being the one where they're playing volleyball. You know, like and 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 as you said, the the way I mean, his close ups, Tony Scott's close ups are so tight. Oh my God! Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like I do. Yeah. The the close ups in the very first encounter when they're in the in when they're like celebrating before they start the Top Gun Academy when they're when they're in that bar and that's the first time that they're meeting Iceman. I remember just I felt actually a little and and it, it's not even you know just it being men. It's just the to, the close ups between Tom. And Iceman, and you know, like they're supposed to be sizing each other up, but they were so tight. It is like forcing me to feel romantic, you know. So I would just say that it's it's a lot in the lensing, it's a lot in the in in the way that some of you know, like 
the sun drenched bodies and they're like oiled up outside. And then even in the locker room scenes in like the way that they're staged for the most part, I say it's, it's directorial. And I, I would, you know, if the late Tony Scott was still alive, I would ask him more than the screenwriter. Whereas that's what's up. Yeah. This, this brought up another film. This is, it's just like not related really, but, uh, Ben-Hur, the original Ben-Hur, people talk about the homoeroticism in that movie, but that was put in there, I think, by, by, what's his name, Gore Vidal, and he said that he wrote that in there, he wrote that in there on purpose, and you can kind of tell that, that there was, that that was, like, scripted, uh, you know, like, just to, to, to to amplify the tension, Mm. and because of Hollywood's, you know, uh, uh, issues with, um, you know, homosexuality at the time, it couldn't be more explicit, but Gore made sure that that was part of the movie. And, you know, like, yep. and, and I thought that was pretty strong. And now, and my third point is just uh, going back, uh, this Tarantino monologue is pretty funny, but it, they do end up having, he does end up having sex with the lead. And then, and then at the end of the movie, he, he goes back, to, you know, like she plays the song and they end up together and that's how the movie ends. So, uh, it it ignores those 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 scenes. Well, I was going to bring up something about what you were talking about about Tony Scott's directorial style and the fact that he ha- uh, had a commercial background um, before before doing features. It reminds me of things that were said in uh, Pauline Kael's review of Top Gun that was written at the time, and I think it might be and it's short, and it might be interesting just to get a view of how the movie was received at the time. Are you guys interested in that? Yeah. I am, yeah, sure. This is the Top Gun 1986 review by Pauline Kael. The strapping Kelly McGillis spends her time in Top Gun sliding into rooms and leaning against doorways or slouching or bending so she won't overpower her co-star, the relatively diminutive Tom Cruise. (laughs) In some scenes, she stands slightly behind him, resting on his shoulder with her body contorted into an S so that their heads will be on a level. And all the while, she does her full-blown best to leer at him sexily. The best part of the movie comes when he's suffering. He speaks in a little boy voice and looks like such a nautilized, dinky thing. Trying to instill courage in him, she says throatily, When I first met you, you were larger than life. In Nabokov's Lolita, Humbert Humbert tortures himself with images of his nymphette in the arms of kissy-faced brutes, and that's what Top Gun is full of. When McGillis is off-screen, the movie is a shiny homoerotic commercial featuring the elite fighter pilots in training at San Diego's Miramar Naval Air Station. The pilots strut around the locker room, towels hanging precariously from their waists, and when they speak to each other, they're head-to-head, as if to shout, says you. It's as if masculinity had been redefined as how a young man looks with his clothes half off, as if narcissism is what being a warrior is all about. In between the bare-chested maneuvers, there's footage of ugly snub-nosed jets taking off, whooshing around in the sky, and landing while the soundtrack calls up Armageddon and the Second Coming, though what we're seeing is training exercises. Photographed up close in a heavy make-believe fog, the planes turn into mythic beasts, the men 
in the ground crews are adjuncts of these beasts, and the high-powered music stimulates a primeval storm. But once the planes are in the sky, the jig is up. When aerial dogfights are staged with jets, the pilots are barely visible. You can't tell them apart. It's all so quick and depersonalized. There's nothing to see but hunks of steel flashing by. What is this commercial selling? It's just selling because that's what the producers, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, and the director, Tony Make It Glow, Scott, know how to do. Selling is what they think movie making is all about. The result is a new art form, the self-referential commercial. Top Gun is a recruiting poster that isn't concerned with recruiting, but with being a poster. Mic drop. And where was that published? That was published in The New Yorker. Pauline Kael is probably the most famous, well-respected critic of the 20th century besides Roger Ebert. Matthew Modine turned down the role of... uh... Of Pete, Ma- of Pete Maverick Mitchell because he thought that the script had a very strong just pro-military stance and he, he you know. And he fucking did, apparently he, he chose uh, Full Metal Jacket instead. Wow. Well, th- Interesting I'm, choice. I'm just saying, yeah, it's, I mean, I would, I'd yeah. make that choice, but he, he, I mean, he missed out sure. on a couple paychecks, but yeah. Um, I'm sure Kubrick screwed him on that deal, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, full, full Metal Jacket is... I mean, you know, that that is not a pro-military no. movie. I mean, it's much more complex. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like you said, I mean, just, just talking about a commercial director coming coming on to direct this film. And I believe that they, he, Tony Scott got the job because of a commercial that he did. I forgot. I think it was for a watch company or something that mm. he did. But he did a commercial where a car was racing a, a plane. And, oh, wow. and and Jerry Bruckheimer loved the way that that was directed because I think I mean, I've seen that yeah, commercial. Eighty to ninety percent of this movie is 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 in the air, and frankly, like if you don't know how to direct those sequences, you know the movie doesn't work. You know, I mean, I I think like those sequences are. If there was one thing that 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 stood out to me as well, watching this movie now in twenty twenty two was I w- I was actually pretty awe stricken by how well those scenes were photographed. Um, oh my god, uh, me too. I, I was blown you know, away. Like I was completely the, blown away. The POV shots, the aerial photography, the way that they integrated, uh, you know, the the blue or green screen, you know, it, it all seemed pretty damn seamless to me, and and it was smart to 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 push the film to overexpose it because I actually think that that actually helped things blend together pretty well. So I thought that was, like the way that they shot it on film at the time worked as well. So I I, I thought like. If it's selling, you know, uh, join the military. I mean, you, you guys know the stats. Uh, I, I, I forget exactly, but the Navy said that they, their 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 uh, number of enlistments to the to the to the Navy like shot up exponentially after Top Gun came out. So, which I just heard they're expecting now. Too. Yeah, right. Oh my I god, see, yeah. yeah, dude. After I saw Maverick, I'm I'm gonna be completely honest. After I saw Maverick, I don't know what happened. I went home and I'm listening to the whole fucking score and I thought like maybe I could do this. <laughs> oh, same, same, totally. 100%. <laughs> like, I thought uh, totally same thing. I, I was like, I, I, you know, and then even just the camaraderie, everything just felt so fucking raw 
And I just, I went on the Navy website and I just, I was just wondering, I'm like, okay, I'm about to turn 31. Like we're too old. If, if I <laughs> yeah, wanted to, old. if I wanted to, could I, and we, we actually, we have four more years to, to enlist. We have four and up until 35, you can join, oh, really? you can join the Navy. Yeah. I mean, come on. How could you not? Tom Cruise is basically up there flying what looks to me like a Star Wars fixed wing, except even more efficient and cooler and faster. I mean, he's he's up there in what looks like a spacecraft, you know? It, it's like a video game, so... Yeah, except at a certain point, you have to actually go to war. And that's... Right, of course. Yeah, yeah totally. And that's... Yeah, I mean, weird. that's fundamentally my, my big issue with the original Top Gun especially, is that they convince you that this is all just fun and games. And it does feel like a video game. And yeah, maybe training is like that. I mean, even though it's super dangerous, but like... I don't, I don't, I'm not into, I, I love war films because of the moral ambiguity that comes with that. But just a training film about being a kick-ass pilot does absolutely nothing for me, personally. Maverick yeah. 2. Uh, Maverick got, well, Maverick got me a little bit more excited because at least there was a, a combat mission. It starts with a combat yeah. mission and then as, as the goal. And then we actually see that combat mission play out and we actually saw combat. It felt not that they did this on purpose, but it just happens to be that there's just so much military stuff. There's a war going on right now. And it felt like in the back of my head for some reason, and maybe in the back of other people's heads that felt like they were going to Eastern Europe or something. I don't yeah. know why I filled that in. Um, it's it's actually Iran where where okay. they oh Iran yeah okay. yeah yeah where they actually filmed um, those sequences are Iran and I believe the plane that the enemy was using in Maverick were uh, are aircraft that are still used in the Middle East um, just like that that specific brand the one that Maverick ends up uh, taking over like after they crash him and Goose's son. But um, but before before I get into him and Goose's son, I will say, Jeff, I, I like that you say that there's there's also one very good story point about Maverick that I thought was I, I don't know which one of the writers implemented this, but it was so smart and 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 it gave it a little bit more of a moral ambiguity. They bring back Maverick to train these new fighters. Right. But it is not the same as the original movie in that. The guy training, the guy who brings Maverick in, uh, uh, you know, obviously Iceman. Iceman. Iceman is a senator, and he says, "Oh, it should be Maverick." But John Hamm, he's playing the admiral. Yeah, so the, the commander of the naval naval air forces. John Hamm, he he's basically telling him, "I need you to train these pilots to do this mission, but I do not need you to train them on how to get back." Right. And and I thought that was really strong. Yeah. That to me is what makes Maverick's character in this sequel so strong. Yeah, is that he's like, wait, no, why aren't we bringing them back from that first scene? And then, and then like John Hamm is basically going like, dude, like this is war. Yeah, you know, like you know, like us trying to figure out to bring them back is is you know, like that is wasting time and money when we know what the point of the point of this mission matters more yeah, than their lives. And that, that was legit. deep, yeah. and Maverick didn't disagreed with that, and did everything in his power to prove that being incorrect. And then you know, and 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 then he ends up proving it by doing, frankly, what I thought was, I I, I in, like at this point right now, to me, the best scene in that movie is when Maverick steals that plane. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, 
yeah. and proves that they can do that mission and survive. And, and he does it in, in like, you know, a fraction of the time that he even told them that they were supposed to do it. That was fucking, I, I, I mean, I remember everybody in the theater was leaning yeah. in and yeah. I threw my hands up at that moment because the composition, the pacing, uh, the intercuts, the music, I mean, Kozinski, Tom Cruise, the sound design, you hear, hearing him fucking breathe like, ah, you, I mean, God damn. <laughs> that was a fucking sequence, baby. Yeah. Wait, so before we dive into Maverick, I feel like I, I don't want to miss out on Michonne's thoughts on the original Top Gun, if you have them. Oh, no, I just was I was just thinking about it leading up to this conversation and trying to find the difference between looking back on the original Top Gun with 2022 eyes and then imagine if it was 1980. When did it come out? 86. 86, and I went to the cinema to see it then and what I would have thought of it. Because I thought that it was, you know, it was pretty corny. It was cool. It had great moments and stuff. But I didn't think it held up very well when it came to a lot of it. It was pretty corny. I agree. I agree. And it almost felt kind of like a B movie to me in in, in certain ways. In certain ways. You know what I I mean? I agree. Not that it was poorly done. I thought it was well directed. Like you said, I thought Tony Scott did a great job and everything. But for some, some element to it felt like it really was asking me to buy into it a lot because it just didn't feel like it held up that well. There's a trashy throwaway quality to it, which is yeah, not which is was, not always a bad thing, but there's no. but something about the lack of plot or the lack of like like all of the story elements that compel the audience are fairly I'm not going to say they're low, they're cheap. low stakes. Well, well the things that are high stakes are like a friend dies and like this sort of romance between McGillis and, and Cruz. I feel like it's kind of not everyone is buying into that um, McGillis Cruz thing, but it's a lot, it's pretty difficult to escape the, um, the friend, the, the loss of, of goose, but, but in a sense, it's a pretty cheap thing. It's kind of like, we're going to have a movie that has no stakes and no story, just a bunch of flying. And then we're going to kill the best friend to pull the heartstrings. Like it feels in, in, in its overall design, it feels pretty cheap and manipulative, even though there's aspects of it, like Tom Cruise's performance that is so, like, full of life. I think what, you know what I mean? So there's this weird thing where it's, like, manipulative and stupid. Sorry to say it, but it's a dumb movie, and it's a throwaway. Right, it felt kind of thin. Yeah, it's kind of a thin Throughout movie, most of it. But there's just, it's just got a lot of life to it. And the music choices are, like, fucking undeniable. You know what I mean? Like... And even though they're even though they're also kind of dumb choices, they feel iconic. It's like Danger Zone and Take My Breath Away, and like these are like hardcore. Like like that's what I understood. I was like, this is why this movie became a phenomenon because it's like like that scene of Take My Breath Away when that plays. I think for the first time, and it's like sunset, and Maverick comes up on his motorcycle to that woman's house. Mm-hmm. It's like it's pretty fucking classic. Even though it's like it's corny, yeah, it's, it's great. corny yeah. and it's eighties, but but it's pretty classic. You know, it's pretty like in your face. I think the movie would have worked better if it had less life. There were some sequences that felt like there were just too many megawatt smiles, one after the other, after the other, after the other, and that felt like it. It was just too. 
You know what I yeah. mean? I don't know. It has Something a, about it has that a, felt like they needed to dry it out a little bit in order for me to really yeah. get caught up in the movie because I could feel the filmmaking and the performances throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and it also feels like, I guess the what you just said made me want to say it's compensatory. It's like, like a sure. compensatory kind of masculine thing where it's like just being like, I know I'm not quite there, but I'm going to... I'm going to give it 300% and in a way that's a little bit that's attractive to some people and to some people it's a bit of a turnoff, you know? There's not a lot of nuance in the movie and that's cool. Whatever. It's, it's look, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but blockbusters had really only been around for maybe 12 years. Star Wars came out when 70. Well, yeah. If you want to think of the first blockbuster as jaws, then yeah, we're looking at Jaws. Sorry. You're, we're looking yeah. at 11 years of, of blockbustering blockbusting blockbusting. And on some level, I respect it as kind of a business venture. They're like, you know, we're going to like, you know, they're trying to make a movie that appeals to actually a pretty wide audience. Because I mean that's what it felt like to me. It felt like they were trying to hit the hit the quadrants. They're like, we're gonna do the romance for the ladies, and we're gonna do the. And I know it's very like gendered to say that now, but at the time I could feel that, like I could feel those conversations in the studio happening, where it's like we're gonna get every man, like every teenager, every guy in his forties, any male American person is going to love this movie because it's about pilots and it's about competition and then the women will sign up for the hot dudes and for the romance which by the way back then like the hot dudes today are big muscular angry angsty kind of (laughs) like you know these these i'm a dark motherfucker rough and tumble type what i was gonna say like um kurt kurt sutter i'm a dark motherfucker right that kind of thing right right right. i'm a dark motherfucker and all that kind of stuff whereas back then in the 80s, I think there was an element of prettiness to, to that kind of thing to, to men. You don't, um, you don't see a big similarity between like the male influencers and stuff now, like like pretty boys. On, yeah, no, I okay, do. Okay. You're right. But but cinematically, I think, especially on television, it feels like the last five so years we've been moving into this, you know, men are like bearded. Brooding, they're, brooding and they're Nordic. brooding yeah. and angsty. Yeah, totally. And, and, and back then it felt a little more like, you know, everything from the tightness of the jeans to the, yeah. <laughs> all that stuff. No, I know what you mean. So in terms of the masculinity, I mean, what did you think of the masculinity in the sequel? It was boring. Yeah. I I didn't get much from the performances in the sequel. Like, the story was there for me, but the performances, I mean, I thought it was... From across the board? Yeah, across the board. I thought Miles Teller was pretty boring. I thought he was well cast because he looks like Goose's... Like, he wasn't bad, but he didn't have any of the the verve of those those, uh, original guys. You know, I thought it was nice to see Val Kilmer there. Obviously, that was really nice. I thought Val Kilmer did a yeah. great job. Yeah, was, he had this moment where really... he was just sort of looking at Tom Cruise and receiving him. And yeah. Tom Cruise was talking. I thought that scene was just be- so elegant they, they, and beautiful. They, Val, Val, if yeah. they can find more ways to put Val in movies. That would be sick. Uh, using yeah. using the AI that they did to recreate his voice and, and the text. Did uh, they use AI? Yeah, yeah, that moment where he actually oh, gets up that. and speaks, they actually used 
Sorry. That moment w- where he actually gets up and speaks, they actually use AI to recreate his voice so he could say those those last couple lines. Huh. And um, if they can do that and and do that more so he can act more, I mean, the guy the guy's got a lot more juice in him. If there's one thing I noticed from that scene, that was uh, that, that was that was really strong. Um, but yeah, I think John Hamm, aside from the glory days of Mad Men, is is not a great actor. I thought he was particularly stinky in this and i thought um yeah i didn't think jennifer i also i love jennifer connelly but i thought she contributed nothing to this movie i didn't think (laughs) i don't think she's right for this kind of movie in general um i think she's better in like heavy dramas like a beautiful mind and stuff like that where she really gets to like show off her like subtlety and emotional range um i thought she was just yeah and you didn't like I actually really liked that guy Charles Parnell. I thought he was fucking that? great. He was the guy who was supporting Maverick through everything. The black dude, the old the, black the, the older black guy. Uh, with the great. with the white hair. He oh, yeah. was fucking sick, great. Dude. Yeah, he was fine. I mean, well, let me let me gra- let me google this guy, make sure I know who you're talking. Granted about. his role wasn't like meaty, but this guy there are so many shots where the camera just like just stayed on his face and I feel like cuz everybody just knew this guy just has presence, dude. Mm. Wait, was he the you know, one where he had those like one one liner exchanges with Tom Cruise where they were like, what was it? He was. They're called orders, Maverick. Uh huh. That guy. Yeah. See, the guy that okay. I liked was not actually oh, oh, him. Oh. Not that he didn't. The other I'm guy. I'm talking about I Bashir Salahuddin. He was good too. He was good too, Michonne. He was good too. Bashir, there was a moment right before Maverick is leaving for the mission. Yep. And him yep. and Bashir have a scene. And I, I was like, oh, my God. Like, this fucking side character is, like, really good, dude. Like, I, I'll also say this, just since we're talking about performances. Aside from the unbelievable just action sequences and flying sequences in this, I really walked away from the movie realizing that I think the best thing about a movie like this is... And performance-wise, is the humor, and nobody brings levity and humor to action the way that Tom Cruise does. His timing is—it's his deliveries. He does it so fucking well, and I've always thought that he brought the laughs and those little moments of, of pockets of air in drama where you can just sort of like enjoy a little quip. And and throughout the movie, he's made fun of a lot, man. He's the foil. He's the old guy. He gets thrown out on his ass. And he really, really owned that shit. And I, I think that is, is really the highlight for me when it comes to the acting in a movie like this. Hmm. Completely. There was a lot of, a lot of comic relief completely that agreed. he did so fucking well. Completely agree. Tom, Tom was 10 out of 10 on this for me. I really? I, I, didn't, I, I didn't see that at all. I thought he was like, I didn't think he was that bad. But, and I agree that he like, I felt like he was leaning into his age in a way that was like pretty graceful. So, I mean, that's a good point, but, um, I didn't really, I didn't get any charisma from him in this personally. Really? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of holding back here because for some reason I think some of these people are like going to hear this or something, (laughs) but the truth is overall, I actually thought the performances in this movie were almost to the point of some of them being terrible and almost amateurish. (laughs) Like I I have to be honest, man, I've been holding back, but Jeff, I agree with you. I thought overall, if you take a broad scope, the acting was just bad. It was so corny and I don't know why they didn't just ground everybody because well, easier said even than the done. Smirks. I mean, we're talking about. Jo- I'm sorry, but Joseph Kaczynski is not exactly 
Mike Nichols. Like he, is, we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, there was just there were there were scenes where it would cut to a character smirking or laughing or giggling, and it just looked like. I mean, it almost looked like a Saturday Night Live type moment. Yeah, I there, agree. Were, there were a couple of moments like that. I yeah. agree. I mean, t- honestly, guys, like the movie to me was cringe fest 2022, except for like maybe the last 45 minutes and like the key action scenes that like that like made the movie like a, such a crowd pleaser. But beyond that, I thought it was just just almost wall to wall, like pretty, pretty difficult to watch for me. Um, interesting. So, yeah. Uh, okay. But, but I Even walked away, is... I walked away feeling what? No, I was just going to say, even with the performances being not my favorite, I still ended up enjoying. The oh, movie I, I did too. I, I, by the yeah. way, I, or like, I walked away giving it kind of a thumbs, like a thumbs up overall and like, uh, feeling like I really got my money's worth, which is kind of what, well, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. It's like, I shelled out 25 bucks for an IMAX ticket. And yeah. I had a whole evening. I had like a five-hour evening planned around going to this movie, and yeah, it was it was kind of a blast. But like the but the drama and comedy of the film, like just did nothing for me. Um, but like as but as like a blockbuster about planes flying, I thought it was tremendous, and especially the oh, especially yeah. the fact that. It was. Re- I mean, that the stunts were real is is just oh it's just God. unthinkable. Unreal. I I see what you guys are saying with the performances, like uh, just being a little just. I I, th- I think there there is a tone that every like some people are just on just different tones. Just like some people are trying to be more grounded, and then 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 you know there's some people trying to be more a little bit more goofy. Um, I, I I'm gonna stand by. I think Tom Cruise was ten out of ten in this. I I think that he really carried this. Um, I think he. I mean, without him, if anyone else was in this movie, I don't think it would have worked as well. I think. I mean, even well, yeah, because it's a sequel. Huh? Yeah, because it's a sequel. I mean, it's not. You wouldn't put Robert Redford or. No, no, but I'm saying like. Just, <laughs> no, I mean Marlon you wouldn't put Robert Brando. Redford. But I'm just saying that like even. Even just, I, I think Tom has this, you know, like the same thing that Harrison Ford has in that, like, I mean, if you didn't see it, I saw every scene of Charm, like from the, from the opening scene. I mean, the opening to me is just magnificent. I, I got a, I got a, that Dark Star sequence where he like takes that ship and and goes, you know, past Mach Ten. Um, I thought was fucking crazy. I thought like that was, oh, yeah, that was composed. Nice. That was pretty nice. That was yeah. composed really beautifully. It was shot at, you know, like, um, you know, like the, the time of day that it was shot and the music, I, you know, like my heart was soaring. I was like, oh my God, this feels like a special moment. You know, like I felt like I was watching something real. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, and like he sort of crash lands and, you know, and then you have the scene with um, that amazing veteran actor, uh, Who's there literally for one scene? What's his name? Help me out. The old where Tom Cruise walks into the diner when he's all burnt up after the explosion. Ed, Ed Harris, yeah, and then he has a oh, scene Ed with Harris. Ed Harris, yeah. Yeah, 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 and you know, like, and I thought all that was like really good. You know, Ed Harris telling him that, like, you know, your 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 kind is going extinct, and he's like, maybe not. You know, like, you know, like not today. Maybe so, but not today. And he's just, I, I think, I don't know. He nails all of those for me, pitch perfect. Um, I would say everything in the air works for me so well. I the the scenes between the 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 young new team, I I was like, 
I was just like, when are we going to get back into the air? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, exactly. I, That's what I, I'm saying. I, I, That's what I'm I didn't saying. mind them that much, you know, but for the most part, like there was just a, you know, like, like some of the, just the lines. Yeah. I wish that they, I wish that they maybe just let them improv a little bit. Exactly. Let, let, let them talk amongst themselves and just film that because the opening sequence of them in the bar, that one is the one that felt almost like, and, and I, I, I would say it's the perform performances, but then it might be also the writing. It's just, it just felt a little like, you know, is this a teenage movie? You know, like, cause you know, Glenn Powell is, is, is they're forcing him to be kind of like the rival, you know, like the new ice man and um, just everything about the way oh, that he's yeah. walking around the table and he's talking to everybody in the room. And I'm like, man, I feel like the music would be louder and he feel I feel like he's talking too loud there. You know, like there's just, there are just, it just didn't, it wasn't oh, super yeah. grounded, you know, that, that, and then, and then miles Teller walking in, you know, with this Hawaiian shirt and then looking around, it was a little like, I don't that, think that whole sequence. I don't know. I, was, I was expecting that, that was a little cheesy. Yeah. Word. I, I, I'm with you. I'm hundred percent with you because you, you're basically talking about that first scene where we're introduced to all of the yeah, team. Cause people. that first scene in the yeah. bar is a, very pivotal. It's a very big. I agree, scene and I thought all it was the a new, new characters are introduced and Tom Cruise. And sorry, and I thought yes, I agree. I thought it was a t it was a lead balloon. Like that. That's where you get. That's where you should be getting. Like you fall in love with these people, and it feels like a family or or whatever, or like a a group of dysfunctional friends. Like there's so much you could do with that. But again, Krasinski yeah. is not a people director. He he direct. He is. They hire him because he can shoot machines well. And you know what I mean? No, I'm serious. Like Tr Tron Legacy and Oblivion, these are, are movies that are about how spaceships look or like how aircrafts look or, or, or these little motorcycle things look in larger spaces and the way he composes them and makes them look sleek and sexy. Homie and, is a master at that. Yeah, he's a, sure. he's a master of that. I'm just master saying like, yeah. but, but then again... You know, Tony's. I'm just saying the what people love about the original is kind of the camaraderie. That's what sold it. So I mean, if they didn't have such a good story and such good stunts and stuff, people are not going just for the corny camaraderie between. You know what I'm saying? It's funny. I don't even were any of them friends in this one. There I don't you, even know if they were friends. There you go. I'm like, I'm actually, I'm yeah, actually thinking about that's it a now. Great, that's a in great. In retrospect, question. I'm like, I don't think Miles was friends with really yeah, anybody. Well, and and that well, Bob was friends with Monica Barbaro's character, Phoenix. I think. Okay, names, okay, right? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, were yeah. kind of like they kind of at thing. least cool together. Like, yeah, like they were cool with each other. Yeah, I don't think any of them were really friends. <laughs> what I feel like was a bit of a miss in the movie is, I would have preferred if Miles Teller was a little bit more of a charismatic, outgoing character. Like they made him this kind of brooding guy that like really had a chip on his shoulder. And then, like they made they made Hangman be yeah, the Glenn Powell, yeah, yeah. They made him be the extroverted one, and he was just had the same face the entire movie, like <laughs> like without knowing anything about the story. And actually, at first, I didn't because I I wasn't familiar with the original Top Gun, but I was kind of assuming that the new Top Gun with this like young gun and like old veteran uh, Tom Cruise that it would be like they were competitive with each other in the sense that like there's someone who's cocky and competent that reminds him of his old self. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And in a sense, Miles Teller would be channeling 
the energy of of the original Maverick. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. And that and that to and we didn't really get that. We didn't get a younger version of of Maverick at all. I'm going to yeah. compliment that because I I hear what you're saying, and I know I, I there are a few flaws that I just want to point out. Opening scene, uh, Goose's son Rooster. He comes into the scene. And he walks in cocky. He walks in cockier than Hangman because he walks into the scene. He has his aviators on and he's wearing that Hawaiian shirt. And then and then he goes over to the piano and then he <sighs> takes the piano and then he's singing to everybody. But like they paint it as if he's going to be this like really cocky character. And then he doesn't become that. Then he becomes more brooding throughout the rest of the movie. And then Hangman becomes more of this like really cocky persona. And, and, you know, like, because they're, like, trying to balance, like, who is more cocky than the other. And now Rooster doesn't get to do that. And then, um, and then I wanted to point out also that, um, like, towards the end, when they have that final sequence, even, like, he, he's, oh, oh there, there is a sequence where, where his cockiness kind of, like, peaks just for, like, a second. And I thought this was a really interesting sequence. And it's when they're both nosediving. Maverick and Rooster are nosediving, and I forget their formation. I remember watching a video about it, but they were like, "Yeah, and the, basically, the, the deck is like going down, 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 and feet." Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. everybody's like, "Pull up, pull up!" And then they're basically playing like a game of who's going to pull up first before the plane hits the ground. And then Goose is like yelling at him, you know. And I thought that was like really interesting as a character moment in a, in a character beat. But I wait, did wait, wait, want a little the, bit you're more. Saying this of that is the original it, or in Maverick? Because you just said Goose. Uh, Go oh, sorry, Rooster. Rooster okay, yeah, okay. Rooster, Rooster, and Maverick in Top Gun Maverick are both like going downwards and like in a downward spiral towards the ground. And then like you know, Maverick is telling him to pull up, and then Rooster is telling him to pull up. And then they're like arguing about the past. And he's and then you know like, uh, why'd you pull my papers and this this and that? You know, and he's like accusing him. And I thought that was like a really strong moment. You know. But I, I did want a little bit more of that edge from Rooster. But I, what ended up happening, and I think this is, you know, this is just from what I read behind the scenes, is that on paper, Hangman wasn't meant to be a big character in this movie. But then they loved Glenn Powell's audition so much for Rooster that they basically beefed up the character of Hangman. And I think what that ended up doing was taking away from Rooster's arc. Yeah. I know that they were trying to convey some impressions of how we wanted to feel about Rooster, but at the end of the day, he didn't say, he didn't have much to say and he didn't do much except for being, I, I feel like he wasn't even ranked very high because the idea was that he wasn't really even good enough to fly this mission and that, and that he was being shuttled up the, up, up the pipeline or whatever, because, because of his dad. So that's yeah, and that's yeah. why there was all this conflict. So he had a chip on his shoulder because people didn't believe in him. And so I mean that's fine. I mean that's a character. I just I just thought the way that like he was written and then yeah, I think it mostly is in the in the script of it and then also I guess what Miles Teller brought it to an extent, it just felt like kind of a half a, a character and it didn't make me I just didn't feel like he was in command of the movie in, in any way. It, he, he, he wasn't. And I, I actually wondered at one point, I remember leaving the movie, I was like, I, I had, you know, I mean, I loved the, the final act. But I, at one point I thought, I wonder if Tom Cruise and in, in them thinking of a sequel or if it was Tom or I'm not sure who, 
But if someone like if there was a version where Rooster actually did become a better pilot than Maverick and and he was leading the team, you know, because there was something about like the final act that I was like, man, it feels like, you know, like this all became about Maverick again, you know, and and even like the whole final act of the movie did not have to do it. it Rooster didn't have a crazy arc by the end. It was like, again, it was just this is Maverick's story. And. I, I I will agree in that when I saw the trailer for this movie, I thought that like either Maverick was going to die and like right. Rooster was going to step up, or or rather than him dying, someone actually became better than him, you know. And and I like and I, someone stepped into his shoes, yeah, yeah, almost as if they were going to do another movie. But whether or not they did, it didn't matter. That he sort of took that that seat. Yes, yes, and yeah. and homie was like, I was like, damn. And, and I know this because there are some movie stars, from what I've heard, I'm not, I can't verify this, but I've heard that there are certain movie stars that actually have some, some clause in their contracts where it's like, they have to be the, the winner at the end. Well, you know what I mean? They, they need to be... I mean, it's not only, not, not, not only is he a big star who's getting... I mean, he was literally one of... He's, he's the main producer on this movie, pretty much. I mean, he, yeah. I'm sure he had his hand in, in the development and writing of it, as a vehicle for himself and also to make a good movie. But like, there's no ambiguity as to like the fact that Tom Cruise authored this film, you know, he's the one who chose as far as I was told, you know, he chose Joseph Kaczynski and all that. That's right. So, I mean, yeah, he's in charge. Yeah, The man is, it's his movie. You know what I mean? So I think it makes total sense that he would cast that he would, that he would maybe wanted himself to look 50 times more badass than Miles Teller, uh, that character. And he succeeded in that. I just, I don't know if that's, I I would have liked to see something a little different, a little more tension between those like main heads, but yeah. Yeah. But it's as a vehicle to make Tom Cruise look like a badass 60 year old fighter pilot. Well done. <laughs> That's right. Ten out of ten. Yeah. Huh. I didn't get that vibe. You didn't. I thought Tom Cruise. Well, there was the no, self. Just... There were moments of him being a self-effacing sixty-year-old who was like yeah. on his, you know, s- settling into his twilight years. But primarily, he as a pilot and as like the guy, you know, uh, like Maverick the pilot. He looked a lot. I mean, he was a better pilot than all of those guys. All of them. Yeah, yeah, it was not. It was not clear who the next generation of pilot was going to be. Like that, it, it seemed yeah. like it was just going to be him, and he would just be the best. <laughs> yeah, you like if they mean? do another sequel, it's like, oh, like he's still the one, best. One last you mission, know? kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they do it, you know, and they probably will. I mean, this movie's on track to make almost a billion, and it's Tom's top grossing Billy. movie of all time. Billy, yeah, Billy. I'll, I'll, I'll say that I think it's it's pretty rare for me to go to a movie theater and think, wow, I had to have seen that on the big Word. screen. Word. Like a lot of people say, oh, you got to see this on the big screen. You got to <laughs> see this on the Dune or the Star Wars or the, all this shit. And and the truth is, nine out of ten times, I disagree. It's not that spectacular. This one, I would tell people, you got to go to the theater and see That's this on a big-ass screen. Yeah. Because and I went and saw it in 4DX, by the way. I don't know if I told you guys that. So I went to Regal in NoHo and I saw it on this 4DX. We were in 4D seats for about five or ten minutes, and then we we moved over to to two seats that were broken because the shaking was so gnarly and violent. 
Like, have you either of you guys seen this 40X? I saw thing? Dune. The first time I saw Dune was on that. I actually haven't gone to a 40X, and I think I'm gonna do it. I might, maybe I'll go see Jurassic Bro, Park it, it, or something. I, I hated it. I thought, oh really? Two more seconds would give me a migraine. I'd have had to leave. It's shaking so violently. I, I can't believe people dig that. I could not fathom why people would want to sit in those and be shaked around like that. There were some other cool things like. When they were out on the water, you know, there was like spray from the ocean. They sprayed water into the theater and stuff like that. That was cool. But um, I'm glad we wound up in broken seats because that would have just been. Wow. The shaking even even really having bad. all the seats shaking around me was like. It was distracting, huh? A terrible idea just to invent this whole it thing. It probably interferes with the sound even because you just hear. Doo, 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 right? Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. I don't know why. What did you think of the, the football sequence? I thought it was, um... Wait, you mean on the beach? Yeah, on the beach when they were playing... The fo- double football game? When they were playing football and One Republic yeah, was I, playing. I, I, I don't know. I thought, oh, oh, that's one of the things that I thought was that of all the, the, the songs, that one made no sense to me. I could not believe they had that <laughs> sort of like EDM. It was like an EDM type song or something or like... It a, was like, it was like a, um, I mean, it's One Republic, so it's like pop, like a pop rock kind of thing. Yeah, that did not work at all. Ball for me. That felt like I was at Coachella or something for like that sequence. And they were just, I don't know. I, 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 that was strange, especially because they had the original danger zone and all that other stuff that felt like, Hey, this is kind of a Rocky, like, and then they just went totally millennial, you know, top, top forties on that scene. And it just didn't work. I just didn't think it was cool. Yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, the tent pole business, it's either you go, th- there are a few lanes right now. It's you go with, you know, like these sort of nostalgia properties or, or you have someone who is like just such an artor, like Chris Nolan, you know, like who can, who can do something and, you know, like, like Tenet, Tenet, you know, like uses, uh, uh, what's his name? Travis Scott has an amazing song. It's like in Tenet and like, I, I don't, I don't know if, if the filmmakers in this movie were just like, you know they could have gone with someone like that you know like for some of the song sequences and just to just make it feel a little bit more hip you know um i i think it's just it's just who who are you you know like who are the collaborators involved i think that's just it's the filmmakers behind it and um i I don't know if kozinski's that guy you know uh and and hans zimmer Zimmer pretty much brought lady gaga on there you know, like what did Lady Gaga do on this movie? She wrote the final song of the film, where Tom is like, you know, he's on his car and he's romancing with uh, Jennifer Connelly's character, and then her, that was her song. And then they used the theme of that song in the score. That's that's what they ended up doing for the actual score of the movie. Um, but yeah, you know, I I mean, I I, I get it. I, I get what you're saying in terms. Of, I mean, it does feel very broad. But I, I do think that it's possible to make a tentpole movie like this and not have to go so broad. But that's I agree. A, that's I, really I 100 percent agree. Honestly, with that, of course, Chris McQuarrie knows how to do that. But he 100 fucking percent. But, but, but he agree. wasn't directing this, you know, so Chris McQuarrie's a, a step up. Yeah, I, he's killer. To, to me, Chris McQuarrie's work on this movie, if I were to guess what it was, is he made all of the missions and the character choices make sense for Maverick. You know, I feel like he wrote 
Tom's like Tom's one-liners and stuff. He came in and he like tweaked those. And I'm like almost it's just because all the Mission Impossible movies, you know, and and we can talk about those on a different podcast, but I just have to call out like the new ones written by Chris McQuarrie. No matter how much it's the same thing about a villain and a bomb, this guy knows how to make the just the choices that a character have to like the main character has to do to overcome the antagonist are so are still so complex and intricate and i and like with this movie i thought that that was where it soared that like even just the the mission itself of like how the plane had to go down and what it had to do and what they had to do to get back and i was like that was chris came in and fixed that up i know it because every fucking and just the fact that it it wasn't just you guys have to go off and fight these other guys that are bad no. guys. It was so much more interesting. And you, you, yeah, I, I totally agree. I remember watching it and thinking, huh, this is like a mission that just all has to do with these characters and their abilities and their commitment. And the enemy, if they do it right, is them. It's this belief that they can do it and the training and the camaraderie yes. and the unity Instead of, oh, there's these bad guys that are going to go and fuck with our military and you guys need to go protect them and save the day and annihilate these guys. It was so much more, you know, about the self and about that journey into 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 believing. And, and like you said, that was what was so great about Tom Cruise stealing that plane. It was like, he's proving it, you guys. This can be done. And that was a cool enemy, you know, quote unquote. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Despite all of my little qualms and... And, and problems with the movie. When I step back and look at the overall movies that are coming out right now, I'd say this is a way, 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 way above average. Easily, movie. yeah. As a as a studio film, for sure. Studio yeah, films. This is like, this is better than you know all the Marvel films I've seen. Um, you know, as of late, this is better than yeah, pretty much almost any other studio movie out right now. You know, like the independent cinema is is rocking, but yeah. But the three of us are now, uh, you know, uh, I'm so glad that, that we're going to be joining the Navy after this call. Um, and, and we will, uh, uh, you know, join Top Gun Academy and we'll see who's the best pilot out of, uh, out of the three best friends here. Me. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks for coming, Michelle. That was sick. That Thanks was for sick. joining you us. Guys. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is Diesel and Reeser, and we can't wait to see you next time. Peace out. Peace out. Thank you.